Welcome to Manager Tools. Teach as if teach not performance communication. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. Is there a softer version of performance communication? What if I want to help a direct but not give feedback? Is there a version of feedback performance communication for less experienced directs? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. This week's guidance is brought to you by our Effective Manager Conference. Our guidance is about getting input from your directs, and the best way to do that is to get to know your directs and create a performance-driven culture. You can learn how to do that as well as how to give feedback and coach and delegate at our Effective Manager Conference. Over 100 every year all across the U.S. and overseas. Come see us and learn how to implement the Manager Tools Trinity. I don't know who you are, but I want to find my business partner, Mark Horseman. I missed him. Well, what are you talking about? What What is that? I read these show notes. I was like, there's a doppelganger who's writing show notes and sending them to me. I mean, because because we're going to tell people there's a, there's an alternative to giving feedback on performance communications. Well, there's been an alternative for years. There people yell and scream, people praise, people say nothing. Oh, managers every day are using all kinds of alternatives. If they're going to use alternatives, if they're if they're looking for subtlety, whether they're using our feedback model or not, let's give them good alternatives. All right. Yeah. I want them back. Oh, yeah. Look, there, there are managers who say that if I say to my direct, hey, can I give you some feedback real quick? Sure, boss, no problem. When you're late to the meeting, I worry about you. Can you be on time next week? They feel that that is harmful. They feel that is aggressive. Now, they're wrong, and they are attempting to treat adults like children. There, say that again. Say they're wrong. Say they're wrong. They're wrong. Oh, absolutely. There they're he is. Wrong. Okay, he's there. He's back. Yeah. On the other hand, I want to help managers who even think wrong thoughts about how to be effective. Our motivation is what you and I went through learning this stuff, but the picture we have in our mind are all the directs in the world who have good people managing them who don't know how to manage, and we want to give them as many tools as we possibly can to help them become better managers as soon as we can. I'm cool with that. I can get behind that. Okay. So, this is is something for... The manager feels wrongly, you admitted, wrongly that feedback might be too hard, might be too a little too strong. Too much. And this too much. And so this is this is an alternative to feedback that gets you close to the benefits of feedback. And dude, you're forgetting our history. We've already done a podcast called the Starter Feedback Model, where we leave off step four. We tell people if you're uncomfortable with step four of negative feedback, where you say, Can you do that better? You can use the starter feedback model. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. <laughs> yeah, we also have the peer feedback model where you eliminate steps one and step four and just go to steps two and three. Look, let's be clear. The uh, teach as if teach not is not a strong enough tool to last you forever, but it is a nice complement uh, to the standard model and to our starter feedback model. And there's a cast for that. So look, let's get right to it. You've, you've set the drama up. So what the heck are they going to be telling me? We have five pieces of guidance. First of all, Sometimes you don't want to give feedback. You're thinking this is a small thing. Now, that's what feedback is for, small things. And you want to do something a little different, okay? Uh, And we've also uh, heard from a lot of managers that some of the less experienced directs they have come to work for them may want a little bit more gentle guidance. Now, I, I can't think of anything much more gentle than our feedback model, certainly compared to doing nothing, which is a really perverse form of gentle or being 
you know, threatening or being forceful or using a negative tone of voice when you deliver negative feedback. It's wrong. So this may be helpful for them. Step one, you start off with, hey, you probably know this. That's the first part. Or I'm sure you're aware of this. And then step two is you say, when you do that or how we do that here or what we do or if you do. So, so it would sound something like, you probably know this, but if we don't stay on time with our deliverables, we're going to get further behind. Okay. Now, we're simply pointing out that they were behind on a deliverable. They were late, but we're doing it in a, in a polite way. By the way, this is a well-known behavioral modification technique. It's called teach as if, teach not. And the key differential between really professional managers who understand how important it is to get a commitment to new behavior, to nip ineffective behaviors in the bud, is you don't ask for change uh, when you're doing teach as if, teach not. You're simply informing the direct while giving them an out regarding their um, miss relative to whatever standards or quality uh, you wanted to achieve. Right. And that way, it's similar to the uh, starter feedback model. Yeah, absolutely. Look, sometimes you see a direct make a mistake and you think, I could give negative feedback there, but it seems like overkill to me. Now, I'm much more likely to agree with a manager who says that if he or she is familiar with the model, is doing one-on-ones, gives positive feedback, gives negative feedback, and so they're knowledgeable about what they're doing. I'm less understanding of the manager goes, well, I just wouldn't use feedback there. I said, have you ever done it? No. So, well, what do you do when your directs make a mistake? Well, generally, I hope. I, you know, I hope they get back on track. they get like, it. Dude, hope is not a method. <laughs> And I would say, I mean, you know, in my head, I'd go, boy, I bet you're a very hopeful person. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it might be overkill. Negative feedback might be a little too much or it's just a small thing you're doing. So it might be a good time to consider imparting some guidance, um, a suggestion, a recommendation versus asking someone for some new behavior. Okay. Now, look, as I think I've made clear after your dramatic intro, The fact is the manager tools feedback model is probably fine for that situation. Many managers have only experienced getting negative performance communications from their bosses when there's been a long pattern of behavior, right? The car starts going off the road. They don't make a correction. They don't make a correction. They don't make a correction. Suddenly the car's in the ditch and they yank the car out of the ditch. Or they've only gotten negative feedback when they do something significantly negative, even though there had been a pattern of small instances along the way. Great bosses don't wait until there's a pattern. They simply address things when things are small. And they balance that out by doing a great deal more positive feedback than negative feedback. So what happens for a lot of managers is their history receiving feedback and that feedback having some seriousness around it and their general feeling on the recipient side that that was a really dramatic conversation and really didn't necessarily help me a great deal. A lot of bosses aren't very good at communicating because they're afraid to call a spade a spade. And about the only thing the conversation is good for is to scare people. It causes many of us as managers, having been on the receiving end before, to mistakenly believe that any negative performance communications, even appropriate ones, small ones, no threat, no fear, with respect, focused on the future, will be taken the same way as you take or you took the conversation you had with that previous boss about an issue of some concern that needed to be addressed. You know, the classic 
preface to this is the boss who pokes his head around your cubicle wall at 1030 in the morning and says, hey, we need to talk. Come by and see me at the end of the day. Great. I think that might literally be the vignette of the ultimate productivity killer. Hey, come by and see me at the end of the day. We need to have a chat. They won't wait until four or five o'clock, right? They'll be in your office in half an hour. Hey, you know, just had a break in my schedule. Thought I'd come over and see if we could talk now. (laughs) Now, finally, my heartbeat got to 200 beats per minute and I couldn't wait any longer or my head was going to explode. Please tell me how it is I'm in trouble because that would be the only reason you would tell me to come see you later. That's right. I already called my wife and told her that I'm probably in trouble. Hey, something's going on. I don't know what it is. I'll I'll text you as soon as we're done. Don't uh, buy that new car you were looking at. (laughs) Yeah. But look, even if you know about the Manager Tools feedback model, and you use it, and you use it successfully, the millions of you that do, it's still possible. You're shying away from using feedback in our model in many super simple situations. Yeah, okay, look, sometimes you don't want to give feedback. We get it, okay? Some managers actually tell me, I had this conversation about a week ago, if I could just have a gentler way of suggesting a different way of doing things, all right, you know, I, I, now part of me says really gentler than, hey, can you give some feedback? Uh, when you miss a deadline, it slows me down. Can you be on time next week? I can think of very few things that are more kind and gentle than that. Some managers tell us I'd rather teach them than correct them. You know, there's a whole problem with that, that you don't have time to teach people and there is no why and feedback and so on. But regardless, some managers say, I don't want to confront my people. Well, Sure you do. In the instance that a direct continues to perform ineffectively, you've got to be willing to talk to them about it. And then the manager says, well, okay, let's put it this way. I would like to chat with them, but I wouldn't want them to feel confronted. I said, well, I guess that means if I work for you, all I have to do is act as if I'm feeling confronted and you can't manage me. Yeah, these are the same managers that don't hesitate three years later when the person's not performing to give them a bad review or to fire them or to do any one of a number of nasty things. And the direct yeah. is left wondering, like, why? Yeah, why wasn't I told? Why didn't you tell me th- three years ago? Yeah. So. Well, I didn't want to confront you. Or <laughs> worse, worse, I'll tell you what happens. Managers give that employee an average review, realize they don't have a lot of great credibility, and they don't want to overdo it because if the poor person's getting an average review, then either everybody else has to get a great review, which won't fly in front of the boss or HR, so everybody gets kind of a middling review. And it's all because the boss didn't have credibility because he wasn't willing to, quote, confront people uh, for their poor performance, which is funny because when we ask managers, if you have poor performance, would you expect it's reasonable for your boss to confront you about it in a professional way? And everybody says, well, yes. Not as only is it okay, but I want them to tell me. Yeah. Anyway, we can recommend, um, we've tested this as a small step toward getting some of you to do more performance communications a well-regarded behavioral technique called teach as if teach not. We impart knowledge that may be new to the recipient, but we politely assume that our direct, the recipient, did know the information and just in this case didn't act on it or forgot it or perhaps applied a different approach for some reason. The purpose of teach as if teach not, and that title means I want to teach you, but I'm not going to make a point of pointing out that you didn't know something. I'm going to assume you did. That's the if teach not part, as if teach not. Uh, But I want you to learn. And even if you did know the thing, and I've assumed that you have in my 
delivery of the verbiage, even if you did know it, you know, you didn't apply it in a way that's useful, so I feel I need to remind you of it. The purpose of it is to suggest there might be a better way of doing something. Again, while not implying that the direct uh, wasn't aware of it, we basically allow the direct to save face by stating that they probably knew, even if they didn't actually do, which reminds me, of course, of Jeff Pfeffer's book about um, the knowing-doing gap. Great disappointment. Now, look, guys, a small additional caveat here regarding whether it might be a good time for you relative to using this technique. If you're not used to using our feedback model, and you ask managers right now who are experienced with it in your organization, they will tell you you really don't need teach as if teach not. They'll tell you they had the same concerns as you did when they started, but those concerns turned out to be totally overblown and unnecessary. That said, if you find yourself not giving feedback because of this unnecessary concern, you're still not giving feedback. <laughs> you're not. And I, I can't remember the last person who said, I don't want my boss to tell me how I'm doing. So you owe it to your folks to talk to them about how they're doing. So if teach as if teach not is a technique that you're comfortable with that helps you get started onto the feedback continuum, well, all's well that ends well. Yeah, and there and there are some less experienced directs who, you know, they may want gentler guidance. This may this may help them be able to listen to it and get it. Maybe I'll get a lot of email from people who say, "Wow, a kinder, gentler mark. That's great." Uh, I often start sessions at clients. I, I, yeah, exactly. We're recording this on a Friday, and I spent every single day this week on the road in different locations with different clients. And I often start my days for those clients who have heard a lot of the podcasts. I promise I'm actually a nice person in real life. I'm not as tough in, the, in <laughs> real life as I am in the podcast. But some directs want things to be kinder and gentler. Less experienced directs who don't have a lot of experience with really candid feedback, really direct, hey, you disappointed, disappointed, you didn't meet your numbers, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Now, those of us who are experienced go, yeah, they just got to get over that. That's part of a rite of passage of, of learning what it is to be part of a high-performance culture where you cannot have high performance and allow people to not perform highly. If everyone is allowed not to perform highly, if there's no structure, if there's no rewards, if there's no discipline, if there's no standards, if there's no recognition of standards, communication about standards, you won't have a high-performance culture. And some people aren't used to that for whatever reason. I mean, you know, we're recording this in 2016. There are college kids that were authorized, in the U.S. anyway, that were authorized to miss their midterm exams in major colleges, colleges, top 20 colleges and universities in America because they were too stressed out by the election. You know, they, they need a safe space. They need it, you know, and I think there's one university at least that created a safe space for people who were feeling stressed that included crayons and and balloons and Play-Doh. These are for young adults. So some people may want that. And teach as if teach not is appealing as a performance communication for less experienced directs. We're not gonna we're not gonna say, younger people, because we might excite the politically correct police, uh, but those who are less experienced may want something a little bit more gentler. Many managers have been mistakenly led to believe in these days that new entries to the workforce can't handle direct, candid communications. It's false, 
but they've been led to believe that. Uh, there might be a couple of moments where the direct feels a little bit uncomfortable, but as we've said many times before, we don't get paid to be comfortable. We get paid to be effective, and effectiveness lies on the other side of that brief band of discomfort you have to go through between somnolence, <laughs> relaxedness, and high performance. I mean, when you see someone come off a field of play, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, field hockey, volleyball, cricket, rugby, Australian rules football, they're sweating. If we want an environment where we achieve high performance, where we don't go through stress and rigor and uh, striving and risk of loss, it doesn't exist. Yeah, it does. It's called death. Yeah, everybody wants to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die. The reason why heaven is what it is is because you have to die to get there. If you could pay five bucks and get into heaven, heaven wouldn't be that great. So large organizations, largely considered to be the great, widely considered to be the greatest achievement of mankind, know that we have to be direct, we have to be candid, but we can be direct and candid in pleasant, positive, and future-focused ways, which is how the manager tools feedback model is built. It's designed that way. And there are managers who still believe it's, you know, it's too much, or they believe they're directs who are less experienced and not familiar with high-performance cultures, that they need something different. So what happens is those managers who may be fans of ours and maybe even doing one-on-ones and running meetings our way and maybe doing performance reviews our way and so on, they're still missing the boat because of the stress, the fear, the discomfort of giving feedback, and performance suffers. So we offer teaches if teach not to those of you who need that help. Okay. So how does this all work? Well, it's easy. So the premise of teach as if teach not is that after I see you deliver less than ideal results, I want to share something with you so you'll have a chance to do better next time. In that sense, this follows one of the premises that we consider critical in performance communications that um, past focused, meaning previously occurring, past focused performance communications are ineffective. Yes, we have to mention what happened, but the purpose of all performance communication is to change the future because we can't change the past. So therefore, there's no reason to have a conversation about the past unless you intend to influence the future behavior of a similar situation. So teach as if teach not does that as well. And when we provide the guidance or the suggestion or remind someone about something that they perhaps forgot about a standard, we're going to give that person the benefit of the doubt and assume you did, in fact, know. I'm not going to directly teach you by saying you clearly don't know X. Otherwise, you would have done this thing that X would have caused you to do. You clearly don't know that details or deadlines are important to us. So therefore, clearly, you didn't do the deadline thing that I wanted you to do. We're not going to do that. We're not going to insult the person. And, and what's important about that, particularly one of the reasons I like teaches if teach not is we only give performance communications about behaviors. We don't give performance communications about the person. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, a person's knowledge is not knowable by us. So therefore, it's not behavior. We can only infer a lack of knowledge from a behavior that might suggest it. You're not going to be effective saying to, your, to people, you clearly didn't know X. 
Because if you'd known X, you'd have done Y. Right. Because what they're going to say is, but I did know X. Now, you know darn good and well they didn't, but you can't prove it. And they'll argue with you if they're in a bad mood because you don't know what they know and you can never prove what they know or don't know because you can't see inside their head. The only thing you can see, the only thing you touch, the only thing you can measure is their behavior. So we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. We're going to tell you we assume you, in fact, did know the thing so that we end up not giving you feedback about what you know, but rather about the behavior. So look, I've been mentioning deliverables. I I, uh, had a conversation the other day, Mike, which made me realize that one of the distinctions, one of the things that great organizations do better than most organizations we go to is that most organizations mistakenly believe that every other organization in the world manages deliverables and tolerates deliverables being late, just like average organizations do. But in great organizations, they're like, no, you, you know, this is part of being a professional. You will meet your deliverables. You will do what needs to be done. So I'm going to use the example of missing a deliverable. You know, you're late getting me the quality analysis I asked for. You missed getting the the pivot table done. And so therefore, we don't have the analysis we need in order to move forward on which um, combination of items that we're going to buy to implement on our production floor or whatever. So you miss a deliverable. If I use teach as if teach not, I could start my moment of performance communication with you with anything along these lines. You probably know this, but Or, hey, we may have failed to let you know this, but, or you may have heard, or I know that you know that, X, or of course you know, or as a heads up, in each of these cases, we're making an assumption that you had the information, or perhaps surely should have had the information I'm about to impart, and for some reason, you didn't, or you forgot it, or you didn't act on it, regardless. In other words, I'm doing my best to assume positive intent for you, that you didn't make the mistake on purpose. I deliver this information with a tone of forgiveness, or as one manager says, I think the best way I can show forgiveness, Mark, because I'm struggling with forgiveness, this guy said, he said, uh, but it's going to come across as if it's relatively unimportant, because if I think about the importance of this and I haven't been able to forgive using the Ozan rule, I won't be able to chuckle when I deliver the teaches if teach not performance communications. And I'll end up making your failure bigger than it needs to be. So you open up with a statement that suggests that, um, well, of course, you know this, you probably know this. Hey, I, I, I know you're aware of it, but right, of course, you know, you may have heard we, you know, that kind of thing. And then step two is easy. You essentially say, what the person did or what they didn't do that caused there to be uh, a departure from what the standard is you would have want, wanted set. After we've set the premise that you probably knew and just forgot, or maybe you didn't know because we didn't tell you, now we point out what have co- what could have gone differently or better. So, I mean, it's simple, dude. It sounds like this. You probably know this, but we try really hard to get stuff in on time here. Or, hey, we may have failed to let you know, but deadlines are something we really care about them. We really care about hit them when it's whenever it's humanly possible, please. Or I know you've heard uh, that we like to stay current with our work. I know you'll stay on top of stuff. Or hey, just in case, uh, once we start getting behind, it's more work later to get to green. Or as a heads up, sure you know this. Deadlines matter. Or 
uh, hey, heads up, deadlines matter. And I know you get that, dude. Or saying, of course, you know, meeting deadlines matters. Now, guys, please don't write me and tell me that I should have given you 20 different examples, unlike meeting deadlines. When I do do that, people say, I would have preferred one stream of one. Give me one example and then and then deliver it in seven or eight different ways. Um, so I, I, I don't have time to give a matrix of seven different ways, delivered each one of seven different scenarios, each delivered seven different ways. But I'm sure you can. Yeah, we get a smart audience. They can the figure it out. The modules together. That's all. And you're not asking for change. Nope. You're just you're just telling them you're just informing essentially, yep. and this is one of the faults of, of of teaches if teach not. This is one of the problems that managers have. They say to me, Mark, I'm not really sure. I want to ask him to do better next week. I said, but he missed a deadline. He was late to a meeting. He he didn't meet his quality number. He didn't meet his quantity number. His accuracy is off. Well, but I don't want to make him feel uncomfortable that there's a gap between where he is and where he needs to be. I said, well, but. I'm not asking people to feel uncomfortable or not uncomfortable, but I do know that I'm the keeper of the standards for my team. And if my guy doesn't meet the standard, what would I rather have? Have him be comfortable and not meet the standard next week or be uncomfortable and meet the standard? And the manager goes, well, that's a really hard choice. I go, no, it's not. <laughs> it's an it's easy, easy choice. choice. Yeah. And I think the person's responsible for their own emotional state and they'll get over being uncomfortable, but they won't get over nearly as easily losing their job because I allow them to stay comfortable while continuing to not meet the standard. This is where we get into the discussion about how there's two types of stress. There's eustress, that's E-U, the um, prefix E-U before the word stress. And eustress is like euphoria. It's a good thing. Eustress is that feeling of anxiety that's kind of positive, that tingly feeling, the anticipation that you're ready for the big game. You're ready for the speech. You're ready for the presentation. You're ready for the negotiation. You've prepared well and you're excited and your heart rate is up because that makes blood flow more to your brain and to your extremities. And so you're able to totally focus in the moment. We want maximum eustress, but stress happens on a continuum. And if you imagine a thermometer, everybody has at some point as the thermometer goes up, um, there is a line where each of us go from eustress into distress. For some people, the, the number is 90, maybe. For others, the number is 40. And every manager is required to know for each of their, not required, but part of being a manager is learning where the line is between effective stress, useful stress, helpful stress, focusing stress, and the stress that makes people say, I'm too stressed out. Over time, we want people that uh, line between you stress and distress, whether it's 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 on the thermometer. We want that to go up slowly. And the only way it's going to go up is if the manager periodically puts the person in distress. But if you constantly keep a person in eustress, but then while failing to tell them about things that potentially could be a problem, and they get used to having a eustress distress line of 20, and then when they finally are in trouble, you hit them with 60 stress, they're going to crumble. What we want them to do is go to the gym for stress and start with light weights and then work up to heavier weights. Otherwise, we can't trust them with $100 million budgets because it will crush them because they haven't been stressed before. And anybody who has a $100 million budget and doesn't feel stressed about the budget is not smart enough to have the budget to begin with. So in this case, teach as if teach not is more of a comfort 
performance communication. And you're right, we don't ask for change because that asking for change creates a little bit of tension, a little bit of a pinch with the direct. The direct has to say, yes, I'm aware, and this is negative feedback, of course, that I'm aware that I didn't meet the standard, whatever that standard might be, and I need to do a little better next time. They're essentially acknowledging that they need to change their behavior and meet the standard in the future, what they hadn't done, which they didn't do this time. Yeah, and my guess is that if you've hired good people, that the vast majority of those that use this technique will will in fact change their behavior even though you didn't ask for it on the other hand some won't right and so i I think you said it earlier that this will work a good amount of the time but it won't always work and at some point if the problem continues to persist you're going to start having to ask for commitments to for a change in behavior hence the feedback model right yeah you can't continue to use teach as if teach not if the problem persists now, if the problem goes away and you use teach as if teach not, you used teach as if teach not, good on you, mate. You got done what you needed to get done. The behavior changed because you were willing to engage in a performance communication, a performance communication conversation with your direct. It's your job. Okay. But if it doesn't work, if the problem persists, at some point you'll have to conclude that this software approach isn't working and you'll have to ask for new behavior to get a commitment and that will probably be our feedback model. I would argue that for a lot of folks who are already comfortable with the feedback model, the solution would be every once in a while, this you substitute this for the feedback model. Because for those people who know the feedback model, if you trust them and you're talking about a small thing, this is just different verbiage. It's slightly less effective in the sense that you don't ask that new commitment and you can't tie this into systemic feedback, um, which is one of my all-time favorite casts. But it's a way to say things differently that may give you another arrow in your quiver, so to speak. Yeah. And particularly with high performers, right? This this may all be all that it ever takes. Yeah. With high performers, sometimes all your boss has to do is raise an eyebrow. And I right, oh, exactly. that's the clue. I shouldn't have said what I just said in this meeting with these internal customers. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yeah. So look, guys, if you want a softer approach than feedback in a slightly different vein than our starter feedback model or the manager tools feedback model, try teach as if teach not. Add another tool to your toolbox. Great managers are people who care about their colleagues, care about their work, care about what the mission of the organization is, and use good tools. And this is an effective tool. Excellent. All right, my friend. Thank you. Anytime, partner. All right, man. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want the how-tos of management wherever you are, check out the free Manager Tools mobile app. It's available on both iOS and Android devices. Go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and download the Manager Tools app. Just search for Manager Tools in the respective store or go to the Manager Tools website, www.manager-tools.com, and you'll find the links on the bottom of the homepage. Once you've installed the Manager Tools app, you'll have access to all the Manager Tools and Career Tools shows anytime, anywhere you want with easy searching of podcasts by category, using the map of the universe, or using built-in search functions, it couldn't be easier. Additionally, if you're a Manager Tools personal licensee, you'll have easy access to all the show notes right from the app whenever you want. Go to the App Store and download the Manager Tools mobile app. You'll be happy you did. <laughs>